Well, good morning, everyone. I think my mic's on. Thank you, worship team, once again for those excellent songs to help lead us into worship. Uh, that was so great. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, last week we, uh, we were in Easter. We had a fun time talking about the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And the week before that, we just uh, completed uh, our leadership series. And this week, I'm just kind of uh, picking up, and uh, we've officially ended the leadership series. We're picking up on something different, and really, I'm just preaching on what the Lord has laid on my heart this week, which should be happening every week, really. And um, what I'm thinking here is that, uh, you know, um, in order for Grace Church to, to get healthier, healthier and to move forward as we, as we finished our leadership series and we're moving on to different things, as, as in order for Grace Church to get healthier, to get to a... a healthier place and to get on with the mission that God has called us to, uh, I think it starts with calling everyone to pursue godliness, to pursue a life of character. So that's, that's where we're, uh, what we're um, headed for today is, is talking about character and pursuing a life of godliness. And uh, th- thanks, Rachel. <laughs> and um, now listen, uh, why are we doing this? Are we doing this just to make ourselves feel good? Like, like why? What, why should we pursue godliness? Why should we pursue character? Well, the truth is, uh, God can use anyone. We see that through Scripture, where God will handpick anyone. He'll, he'll handpick even people of questionable character, and he will use them for his purposes. But it seems to be God's preference, as you read through Scripture, to use people of character, to use men of character. And uh, just to give you a few quick examples, uh, in the Old Testament, we see in Moses' life, in Moses' day, um, in... in um, in, uh, in Exodus 18, Moses is in, a, is in a leadership crisis, and he decides that he needs to select, uh, with, from good advice from his, from his father-in-law, that he needs to select judges to help him co-lead uh, the Israelites. And <clears throat> the requirements for these judges is that these men are to be men of character. If you fast forward into the book of Acts in the New Testament, the apostles were preaching, they were teaching, they were praying, they were leading the church, and the church was growing to the point where they ran into some practical, some practical issues. And we see in Acts chapter 6 that uh, the apostles decided that they were, to, they were going to select deacons and men of uh, uh, helpers to help them with the practical issues. And the requirement was, essentially, that they were to be men of character. And if you fast forward into 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, these are the qualifications of elders and deacons, leaders in the church. And the requirements are that they are to be men of character. And um, we, we strive to be people of character, men and women of character, really, so that God can better use us to achieve uh, his mission in the world, which is to make disciples of Christ Jesus. And if we are men and women of character, uh, God is able, we're able to be more versatile, we become a more versatile tool that God can use to help us achieve our mission in the world, which is to go and make disciples of Christ Jesus. So that's, that's the why behind pursuing a life of character. But I also want to add this. There may be someone who's watching today. Uh, you're not part of our church, and you wouldn't even classify yourself as a Christian. And you're, in, in, and you're thinking to yourself, why does this even matter to me? Well, first of all, I'm glad you're here if you are here, if that is you. But even if, if someone today is, is listening in and they're, they're considering striving towards some of the characters, character that we're uh, talking about today, I believe if you strive towards the character that God calls us to in God's word, whether you're even a Christian or not, this is going to help your family. 
This is going to help your marriage relationship. This is going to help your, 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 your work relationship with your coworkers and peers and uh, whatever sphere you find yourself in. Uh, and you're going to find out that this stuff actually probably works at a, at a practical level in your practical life. It's going to help you in all your relationships. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we could look at a whole bunch of different passages, but these are what we typically go to as the character qualifications for what we call an elder in the church. And uh, I want to I say this, although we don't necessarily call everyone an elder in the church, it's not a term that we just loosely throw around, uh, at, at the same time, uh, even though we don't do that, I think it's fair to challenge everyone, man or woman, senior, child, teenager, young adult, middle-aged person, it doesn't matter who you are, whatever your circumstance is, I think we can all be challenged towards the, uh, towards the character of an elder in the church. And so I want to challenge everyone today, but particularly this seems to be directed towards the men. And so I do want to challenge particularly the men today. Another thought came to mind recently this past week. I kind of had this aha moment. If this passage is written to men and men are supposed to lead their home, then that then might mean that men are called to be the elder of their home. Every man is called to be, in a sense, the elder or the pastor of their home. And so if that's the case, every man should especially, every man especially should be leaning in today and thinking, oh, this doesn't just apply to the pastor. This applies to me as a man because I'm called to be the elder of my home, if that makes any sense. So I want to challenge everyone today, again, man, woman, young, old, everyone, to be a person of character, but particularly the men I'm going to be challenging today. So the passage is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. I'll read the whole passage, and then I'll break it down uh, phrase by phrase or word by word here. The passage is 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 7. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder... Uh, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. There's a parallel, by the way, there's a parallel passage in Titus chapter 1, and I'm going to also be referencing some phrases and words out of that as well a little bit as we go through this, this passage. So let's start with the first phrase, which is verse 1, which says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. An overseer is someone who we might call an elder in our church. Well, who, who are the elders in the church? Well, first off, um, the, 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 probably the closest modern-day equivalent to a biblical elder in our day is really your full-time paid pastoral staff. However, I, wouldn't, I would not at all limit, limit it to that. I would extend the term elder to really any man in the church who is exemplifying godly character and is called to serve in some form of senior spiritual leadership, whether they're paid or not. So that's a very vague, open-ended um, definition. 
really, again, any man who exemplifies godly character and is called to serve in some form of spiritual leadership in the church, whether they're paid or not. And so um, it is an official office in the church, and Paul says it's a good thing to desire this office. It's not a bad thing. You shouldn't feel guilty about desiring it. It's a, it's a good thing. It's an honorable thing. But again, we're not today really talking about the office of elder. We're just calling everyone to strive towards um, uh, the qualities uh, that we would expect out of a leader in the church. And we want to, again, uh, uh, challenge people, everyone, to be a man or woman of character, and particularly, again, uh, the men we're challenging today. Verse 2, the next phrase is this. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. In the Titus chapter 1 passage, he uses the word blameless, which, uh, which is something I'll add here. The overseer or person of character is to be above reproach. They are to be blameless. Uh, they are a righteous man who, uh, whom no charge can be brought. They are a person who, who lives a life of integrity. Uh, they are mature. Uh, they have this, this uh, a solid character about them. And, you know, there's, there's two people that come to mind in Scripture as I read this phrase, and one is Daniel, and the other is Jesus. Let me talk about Daniel first. Daniel, you can read his story in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. And, uh, and Daniel was a man who was an Israelite who worked in a different nation. He served King Darius. And um, uh, Daniel had distinguished himself so well that the king had decided that he wanted to put Daniel in charge of everything and everyone. He was going to make Daniel his, his right-hand man, second-in-command, just below the king. And there were other leaders uh, during that time who were jealous of Daniel, and they wanted to take him out. Uh, verse, uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 says this, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But... They were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And uh, that being said, they still found ways to manipulate the law and uh, get him in trouble as a result. Um, but that's maybe for another, another time, another story for another time. And then in John chapter 19, verse 6, when, when the crowds were wanting to crucify Jesus and they were, they were calling for his crucifixion, they were calling for his death before Pilate, when Jesus was tried, Pilate said this about Jesus in John 19, 6. He says, as for me, I, I, I've tried him and I found no basis for a charge against him. And also in Luke 23, 22, Pilate says, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. He's innocent. And so as you look at Daniel, we look at Jesus, uh, they were innocent. There was no charge that could be brought against them. But interestingly, even though they were innocent and there's no charge that could be brought against them, the people around both Daniel and Jesus wanted them dead. Interesting. And so uh, when we talk about being above reproach and being blameless, we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about being liked. Jesus wasn't liked. Daniel wasn't liked but they didn't do anything wrong. When we talk about being above reproach or blameless, we're not talking about everyone agreeing with you. Uh, obviously, people didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't like Daniel. They didn't maybe agree with some of his approaches to things. Same with Jesus. So being above reproach and blameless is not about necessarily being liked or being, having everyone agree with you, but when you are pressed, no one can really find anything wrong with you. Why? Because you're a person of character in whom no charge can be brought. You're blameless. You're, you're above reproach. 
let me ask you this. Are, are you living your life in such a way that if someone were to pull the curtain you know, behind your, your, your life or look at what you do in your work or with your family or whatever, would they, would they find some serious issues to, to um, discredit you with? Um, are you living a life that is blameless, that is above reproach? <clears throat> are you living a life of character and maturity and integrity? Let's move on to the next phrase. The next phrase is this. Uh, an overseer is to, be, is to be faithful to his wife. Now, we could make a comment here about polygamy. We could make a comment here about divorce and remarriage, but I don't think I want to do that for uh, today's purposes. I think the thing I want to focus on is that uh, a person of character, a man of character, is faithful. He's faithful to his wife. He's faithful to his wife. He's loyal to his wife. Man, I think it's so important that you look at your wife in the eyeballs, no matter what you're going through. You look at her in the eyeballs and you say, wife, darling, honey, baby, sweetie pie, <laughs> whatever phrase you use. Uh, dear, um, I- I'm never leaving you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to be loyal to you. Yesterday, today, and forever. You know, here's the thing. Um, the earthly marriage, our marriages are supposed to resemble um, or mirror the relationship that God has with his church. The church is called the bride of Christ. And, uh, and if our earthly marriages are to reflect and to mirror uh, God's relationship with the church, then just as God promises to be faithful to his church, which he does through thick and thin, even with the mistakes that we make, God promises to be faithful to his bride, the church. So in the same way, husbands, you have to have that same heart of faithfulness to your spouse, your wife. And she needs to know that you are all in, not 100% in, but 110% in, that you are going to be faithful to her, you're going to be loyal to her, uh, come what may, through thick and thin, she's yours, she, you, you are hers, and there is this, this, uh, this, there is this uh, beautiful, faithful uh, heart that you have towards her. And you know, this is a, this is a little bit countercultural, because we live in a world where commitment is a little bit loosey-goosey. Uh, marriage commitments are a little bit loosey-goosey. It's just the world we live in today. And uh, I know this is different, but we are called to be different. We are called to be counter-cultural. We are called to be like Christ. And so even, even in the midst of, a, in the heat of an argument, even when your marriage is not going well, you have to tell your wife, guarantee her, promise her that you will be faithful to her, that you will be loyal to her, that you will love her. And, you know, faithfulness is not just about a, a, a black and white, cold, cold-hearted commitment to your wife. No, faithfulness also involves a few other aspects. It, it, it involves that you are cherishing your wife, that you are loving your wife, that you are honoring her, that you are caring for her, um, even when it's difficult. It's not just about, I'm never going to leave you, but I'm going to make sure you're grumpy and I'm grumpy while we're, <laughs> while we're being faithful to each other. It's a marriage that desires to just love and cherish and honor uh, your, your wife. Another area of faithfulness that is really uh, unfortunate in our world today, and it's no surprise to anyone, but it's the issue of pornography. And this is an area that men and women both struggle with. Um, and I want to say, listen, if you are struggling, if someone out there is struggling with pornography, first of all, you need to listen, especially if you're married, uh, that uh, you are being unfaithful to your spouse when you're involved in pornography, and that's a serious issue. And um, you need to know, though, that, uh, we, man, we love you, we, we care for you, we want to help you, we want to support you, 
And the, the single most greatest thing, perhaps the single most greatest thing you can do is, is just admit out loud that you have an issue. And number two, confess your sin to someone else. I think more than half the battle is just going to a trusted brother or sister and saying, I'm struggling. And if you, if you can do that, that's more than half the battle and getting, getting victory over that area in your life. So be faithful in, with your eyeballs, but be also be, thank, uh, be faithful with your, your thought life as well towards your spouse. Be faithful to your spouse in every aspect. Now, what about those who are listening right now and you're single? Well, God expects you in a similar way, even though you're not married, to live a life of sexual purity, to flee from sexual sin, to reserve intimacy for marriage, uh, to not live with a romantic partner until you're married. I know that sounds crazy in the culture that we live in, but again, God calls us to be different. He calls us to be countercultural. Uh, save intimacy until you are married. The next couple of phrases in the same verse. A man of character is, uh, and still in verse 2, I believe here, uh, to be temperate, self-controlled, and respectable. And I would add from the Titus passage, uh, holy and disciplined. So to be temperate, self-controlled, respectable, holy, and disciplined. A few thoughts come to mind as I read these phrases. Number one, uh, a person of character is one who is able to control their tongue. That is so important. We need to control our tongue. We need to hold our tongue. We need to listen more and talk less. There's a reason why God gave us one mouth, but he gave us two ears. He gave us one mouth, but he gave us two eyes. Perhaps he did that so that we have two eyes, so we have twice as much opportunity to observe, two ears, so we have twice as much opportunity to hear, and only one mouth to make our comments. You know, um, one of our elders who sits on the board uh, which I find this very interesting. He, has, uh, he comes to the meeting, and he comes with a rock. And he'll often put the rock in his mouth, and that's, I guess for him, it's, it's his signal to do exactly this, to listen more and talk less. And I think it's, <laughs> some of us are laughing, but it, it, is, it is fun. But, uh, you know, it's really interesting. It's, it's a really special thing that maybe we could all learn something from. Uh, a person of character, a man of character, he keeps himself composed. He is pure. He does the right thing. He keeps his word. Are you a man of your word? He's orderly and fair in the way he approaches things. He's respectful of others. He's even respectful towards others who are not for him. He's respectful to others who agree or disagree with him. And when you're wrong, that this kind of person, a person of character, takes the higher ground, perhaps bites his or her tongue, um, and just does the right thing, even though maybe in a moment it doesn't feel like that's the, right, that's the thing you want to do. You do the right thing, you take the higher ground. The next phrase is the word hospitable. Now this, this word at surface level is very simple. Hospitable, uh, in, uh, some translations will specifically say uh, that uh, this person is uh, totally good with having people in their home. And that is for sure part of what it means to be hospitable, opening up your home for, for meals, for allowing people just to be relational with each other, to maybe uh, let someone stay there for a while, opening up your life, opening up your home. But I think there's something deeper uh, and just more involved with the word of, with this, with this word that's translated as hospitable in this passage. A hospitable person, a man of character who is hospitable, uh, is someone who 
you can tell, truly cares about people. Uh, they are uh, someone who is friendly, someone who is relational, not just at a surface level, but they really want to get to know you. They have a way of putting people at ease. They have a way of welcoming people. They, they, they live with this philosophy that there's always one more room uh, at the table for someone else. They don't like to exclude people. In contrast, uh, their philosophy is not, it's just my four and no more. They don't, they're not cliquish, cliquish, whatever the right pronunciation of that word is. They, uh, they take an interest in others. They are generous with their time, their relational time. They don't play favorites. Whoever it is that God puts in front of them, whether they're rich, they're poor, they're important, they're not important, however someone might define importance in this culture, it doesn't matter. Whoever God puts in front of them, man, they're going to love them and they're going to care for them. And they're going to be hospitable to that person in a, in a relational way. So that's what I see when I, uh, when I see the, but that's what comes to mind for me when I see the word hospitable. The next phrase is this, able to teach. There are a bunch of different directions we can go in the, in, 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 with, with this phrase. But what comes to mind uh, for us for today is uh, what, what a person of character, a man of character who is able to teach is one who is growing in their relationship with the Lord, and they're growing in the knowledge of God's word to the point where they can give someone direction in their life, spiritual direction in their life if they need it, whether it's someone in their family, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, whatever. They are growing enough in their walk with the Lord that when someone in their life has a question, they are able to very quickly give them an answer because they are mature, they are rooted in Christ, they are growing in God's word, they know what they're talking about. You know, it should not take it shouldn't take someone 30 years to figure out how to be saved. It shouldn't take someone 30 years of someone attending church to figure out how to be saved. Uh, that happens, unfortunately, in our world today, and it happened in, in the, the New Testament world. And it's why the writer of Hebrews was frustrated with, his, with the people who he was, or he or she, or probably he, was, was writing to. We don't know the writer of Hebrews. But the writer of Hebrews said uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. He's calling them babies. <laughs> Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling his uh, those who are um, receiving this letter that you guys are a bunch of babies. Get on from drinking milk and get on to uh, eating solid food. Take your faith seriously. You guys should be at a point where you all should be able to teach, yet you still have to be taught the basics of the Christian faith. And so one, a person of character is one who is growing in their relationship with God. They are growing in the knowledge of God's word to the point where they can not only lead themselves and and lead themselves, but they can also lead their families and those around them. Now, uh, not everyone, this could also, you know, refer to preaching and stuff, but not everyone in this sense needs to be preaching. Not everybody needs to get up in front of a congregation and preach. But, again, at the very least, a person of character is one who is growing in their walk with God and they're growing in the knowledge of God's word to the point where they can give themselves and other people good, godly direction. There should be a maturity about you. Uh, and this requires that you are regularly in God's word. Are you regularly in God's word? 
that's, that's an important question. It's important that if you're not, that perhaps for some people need a Bible reading plan. Uh, some people maybe need to challenge themselves to read through Scripture uh, over the course of a year or whatever. Wh- whatever, whatever it is you're doing, I would challenge you to have some kind of a plan to, or, or some kind of a habit or some kind of a thing that you do to regularly be in God's Word. The next verse is this, verse 3. I want to just uh, highlight a few uh, phrases at the same time. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And so these are kind of more negative words of what you don't want to see in a person of character. And the first word is drunkenness. And along with drunkenness, I would extend, I would include really any unnecessary substances that cause damage or that cause addictions and long-term damage to your health, particularly your mental health. We are called to stay away from drugs, well, drunkenness, and, uh, and, um, and drugs that cause, unnecessary drugs that cause serious harm to your health. A drunkenness and drug use can cause long-term damage on your brain. This is, this is like a real thing. My wife is studying to be an RN, and she often shares with me all sorts of bits of information that she's learning. And one of the things she's learned recently is that those who have a his- history of drunkenness uh, can develop brain damage and can uh, have some personality disorders. Um, And it can affect your temperament. It can cause you to lash out in violent and quarrelsome ways. And everybody loses. Everybody loses when that happens. I was watching The National last week, and there was a concerning trend that they were talking about on The National. There's a seven to eight minute clip, and they were uh, talking about how there's this concerning trend that women now are outpacing men with alcohol consumption. And it's becoming concerning for a lot of reasons. It's causing health issues, not necessarily mental health issues. Well, maybe it is, but they were more concerned about it. Apparently, the more alcohol you drink, the more likely you are to get breast cancer. There's other health issues that go along with it. So I'm not saying don't drink. Well, what I am saying is a person of character has to be so careful. You have to be so careful with the substances that you allow into your body. Don't let any substance, whether drugs or some hard uh, uh, alcohol or hard drug, don't let any substance control you to the point where it impairs you, uh, to the point where it causes permanent damage uh, in, in your body. It'll have a negative impact with your walk with the Lord. And so in a similar way, as we talked about the other addiction earlier on, if there is someone out there who is struggling with alcohol or some hard drugs of some kind, uh, we love you, we support you, we care for you, we want you to win. We want you to, to, to succeed. We want you to have victory. But it all starts with someone who says, you know what, I think I have an issue. And it starts with someone says, I, I need to confess this to someone. Again, I think for a lot of people, I think oftentimes, sometimes more than half the battle is just confessing it out loud. I need help. I'm struggling. Would someone help me? And for the record, I, I know some people in our church who would be over the moon to help people who might be struggling with these these addictions and these challenges. We want to help you. We want to support you. There's no, there's no shame in, in uh, recognizing that you might have a need in this area. The, um, the opposite of someone who is involved in drunkenness or violent or quarrelsome, the opposite is someone who is gentle, who is peaceable. A man of character is someone who assumes, I think, the best in others. Someone who gives others the benefit of the doubt. Someone who is, again, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, holy, 
and discipline. The next phrase is this, not a lover of money. A man of character is someone who is not greedy. They are not dishonest. They're not interested in shady business deals. They're someone who hates bribes. Um, they are someone who has a larger goal in life than just making money. Is your goal in life just about money? Is it just about the bottom line? Or is there something else that drives you? You know, uh, there is nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with investing. In fact, it's actually a good thing to earn money because it's, it's actually a biblical thing so you can take care of your family and so you can uh, bless others and bless the church. That, that's all good. But money is, is not the end goal. It's a tool. There's a significant difference in someone who is a lover of money and a, someone who is a lover of God. Are you the kind of person who's chasing the almighty God or chasing the almighty dollar? What kind of a person are you? There's a big difference in the two. Uh, a lover of money is one who asks this question. They, 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 this is what they ask. They say, how can I use God? How can I use the name of Jesus? How can I use those around me to serve my money, to serve me, to make me a profit? That's what a lover of money will say. And they might pretend to be religious for the sake of gaining, well, for personal gain, for money, to serve their money. And, and then your, your money becomes your master. On the other hand, a person who is a lover of God, they, have, they come at it from the opposite angle. They say, how can I use my money, which is really not my money in the first place? How can I use my money, whom God gave me in the first place? How can I use my money, recognizing that not, not, anything that I own is not mine anyways? <laughs> how do I use my money, God's money, my money? How do I use my money to bless God and bless others? How do I use my resources to serve the king, to serve the almighty king? Very different uh, approach. And a man of character will be a person who loves God before money and desires to use his resources, whatever he has, to honor God and others. And so a person of character will be generous with the Lord and with others. Verse 4 and 5 uh, says, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And in Titus 1, 6 adds, uh, he says, a man who adds this, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So when Paul was talking to Pastor Timothy about what to look for in spiritual leaders in the church, he was saying, Pastor Timothy, I want you to look for essentially a good family man. <laughs> you need to good, be, find a good family man because the church, in a sense, is kind of like a family, which it is. Um, uh, you know, you need someone who is a good family man who knows how to manage their own family well so they can run the church family well. That's essentially what, it, what, it's, what it's about. He's looking for good, godly men who are good family men. Not that you have to be, have kids in, in order to serve in a spiritual leadership role, but uh, but just talking about the, the character of a man um, in that regard. So, so let, me, let me just make a couple of comments uh, with, with these verses here. First, let me make a comment about raising godly children. Uh, men, we are called to manage our homes well, according to this passage and other passages. And, and we are called to do everything we can, I believe, to raise our children in the Lord. And, you know, we don't do it alone. On one extreme, we don't do it alone. But on the other extreme, we don't just pass off this responsibility to someone else. You know, I used to be a youth pastor, and there's been moments in my life where I've often wondered, 
I've often wondered, how, how much time are some of these parents spending with their kids that are sending to my youth program? Are, are they expecting me to raise their kids in the Lord? And dads, I want to say this to you. Listen, dads, fathers, men, dads, <laughs> it's not the responsibility of the youth pastor to raise your teen in the Lord. Dads, it's not the responsibility of the children's director to raise your children in the Lord. Dad, it's not the responsibility of the church to raise your children in the Lord. Dad, it's not the responsibility of the school to raise your children in the Lord. Dad, it's not the responsibility of grandpa, grandma, your nephew, your niece, your cousin, your best friend, your buddy, uh, your, even your wife. Of course, you do, of course you do that with your wife. But dads, don't pass the buck. You are responsible for your child's walk with the Lord. You are responsible for that. And you know, as, as a dad manages his household well, as he, as he uses every opportunity to point his family to Christ, the natural outcome is going to be that his children uh, believe and follow the Lord. Okay, well, that begs the question, what, what do you do uh, when you have a family man who is a man of character and his children later on in life, are not walking with the Lord. How do, you, how do you interpret that? How do you deal with that? Well, uh, there's a lot that could be said, but as I read Scripture and as I, look, as I look at the context of Scripture, this is what I see. I see that Scripture includes stories of godly men whose children went rogue. There are multiple examples we could turn to, but one example that comes to mind is, is in Leviticus 10. You can read that story for yourself. But uh, we have Aaron. He is the high priest of Israel. He, I mean, he's, he's the top guy. And he was appointed by God himself. And Aaron has two kids, Nadab and, uh, and Abihu. And these kids of his, they go rogue. And they become disobedient. And God ends up having to punish them. It's a, it's a very sad story. But yet, even though Aaron's children went rogue, God did not fire Aaron. God continued to use Aaron as the high priest of Israel. Because I think there's this understanding through Scripture that people make their own choices, even under a godly dad or mother. You know, uh, every child is unique. Every person, every child makes their own decisions. I had this, I don't know where this came from, but I had this crazy idea before I had children that uh, when, when children were born, they were all born the same. They're all generic and, uh, and after a few years, then after a few years, that's when they start developing their personality. But boy, was I totally out to lunch. <laughs> I was crazy. Uh, right out of the oven, they're all different. Actually, before they come out of the oven, they're all different. At the moment of conception, they are different. They have minds of their own. Uh, not that I carried any of the babies, because I'm a man. But uh, my, my wife, as uh, she carried the, the children, they were all they're all different. They were all bouncing around her womb in different ways. They were all making my wife crave even different foods and different things and whatever. And uh, man, they were all different from the point of conception. And even when they came out of the womb, number one came out with a hamburger. Uh, you know, number two came out doing gymnastics. Uh, number three came out holding a Nintendo Switch in his hands. And uh, number four was calm, cool, and relaxed. And uh, man, they were, um, of course, I'm exaggerating, but uh, man, they're all different. Every person at the, at the end of the day is accountable to God, and everybody makes their own decisions. 
See, here's my take on it. As I read this passage, 1 Timothy 3, as I consider Titus chapter 1, and as I look at the context of Scripture, here's my take on it. If a man has displayed evidence of managing his house well and did his best to point uh, his family to Jesus, I can't fault him if his children, his teenagers, his adult children uh, decide to reject Christ. I can't fault him. As long as this man has been introspective about, you know, maybe where he could have done things differently or maybe could have done things better. At the end of the day, everybody makes their own choices. But men, do, do your best to take responsibility with what you can, to do everything you can to point your family to, to Jesus. Uh, another uh, comment I want to make in this category, in these verses, is this. I want to talk about leadership in the family. Uh, men, uh, you are called to manage and lead your family. Uh, uh, I, I, um, you should know that when I was in seminary, I had a seminary professor who taught the opposite. I believe scripture teaches that men are called to, as we just read in, in other passages as well, that men are called to manage and lead their families. And I had a seminary professor who taught the opposite. And uh, he was... Uh, internationally known for some of his views. He wrote a book on this whole thing. It's this concept that there's no difference really between men and women in the roles in the home and in the roles in the church. There, it's an egalitarian view of men and women in the church and men and women in the home. And um, I sat under this, what many people claim to be a world expert. I understood his arguments and uh, I understood what he was getting at. And you should know that I didn't agree with him. And the reason why I didn't agree with him, because at the end of the day, even though his arguments were nice and very nice sounding, and I appreciated the one, I appreciated him as a person, at the end of the day, his arguments uh, did not line up with scripture. It was not scriptural. And for that matter, there were some logical arguments with his arguments. Uh, I say this to say this, scripture clearly teaches that men are called to manage and lead their house. And when you look at uh, the greater context of Scripture as well, you see that there is submission in the Godhead. There is submission uh, between the uh, God the Son towards God the Father. That was something that God invented. There is submission in the church. We see that, of course, we're to submit to each other, and no one's better than anyone else. But at the same time, we are called to uh, submit to our spiritual leaders. We read that in recent weeks, and it's a very specific one in Hebrews 13, 7, I think it is. I'm not sure. And then um, there is submission also in the family. There's submission in the marriage. It's something that God invented. And as you look throughout Scripture, um, submission is not a man-made thing. People did not invent submission. God invented submission. And submission is God-ordained and... Um, God calls, man, God calls you to manage and lead your homes. Of course, you do that with humility and grace and sacrifice, but man, you are called to lead. And I know this message is not politically correct, um, but you know what? Um, I think political correctness is, is not helping the family in our world today. In fact, I've got to be honest with you, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit over and done with being politically correct. You know, I'm trying to be, I try to, of course, be sensitive all the time to our cultural realities in the world that we live in, but political correctness in this area is not helping the family anymore. Uh, men, uh, you are called to lead and manage your homes well. And so women, I want to challenge you to let your husbands lead, to support them in leading, encourage them 
in leading. And as you do that, you might be surprised at what you discover. Men, I, I just want to say this again. Your leadership role is in a different way, though. Men, your leadership role in the church is not to be used for selfish purposes. But it should be seen as a sacred and holy responsibility for the benefit of your family and for the world around us. Your, your role of leadership should be one of sacrifice and, um, and service to the family and to the world. The last couple of verses, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read now, verse 6 and 7. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. There's a bunch of different directions we can go here, but there's really just one phrase I want to highlight as we close, and it's this. A man of character has a good reputation with outsiders. A good reputation with outsiders. So let me ask you this. Um, if we were to hypothetically uh, maybe call some of your coworkers, people who didn't attend your church, call some of your clients, uh, maybe your neighbors, people who you know, live on your street, uh, maybe if you're a student, if we called your classmates, um, and we were to ask them what, you know, about your character, and we were going to almost call them as a reference, what would they say about you? Would their perception of your character be consistent with what you display amongst church people? Are you the same person at church as you are when you're outside the church, when you're at home with your neighbors, your coworkers, your peers, your classmates, whatever, whoever they may be? And the challenge here is that um, the challenge here is to pursue a good reputation with everyone, to, to be consistent in your character, regardless of whether you're hanging out with church people or not, whether you're on the inside or on the outside. Don't just be a person of character when you're hanging around church people. You need to be a person of character regardless of who you interact with. And so it's, it's so important because the outside world is, is looking. They're looking at you, and they're wondering, is this guy for real or gal? Is, is this person a hypocrite, or are they the same person, whether they're with church people or not? And when the outside world looks at us, they should notice something different. They should notice something appealing about us because they should see God working in our lives. Again, we're challenging all of us to be men and women of character. And why does any of this matter? Well, let me say it again. Again, why work hard at building our character? Why? Because at the end, we want to be a versatile tool that God can use to achieve his mission in this world. His mission being to point people to Christ, to make disciples of all nations in Abbotsford and beyond the world, and we want to be available for God to use. And again, uh, if you are, if you're even a, if you're a person who's not, it doesn't even belong to a church, and you're not even a Christian, if you do these things, this is going to help your life on a personal level. But for us as believers, we do this to be again used by God uh, to be more versatile for Him to be to use us to achieve the mission that He's called us uh, to uh, partner with Him. So let's be men and women of character. Let's, let's challenge ourselves to be people of character. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come back up. <clears throat> God, we, uh, we thank you for sending your son, uh, your son Jesus being the ultimate example of character. Lord Jesus, you submitted to the Father. Uh, Lord Jesus, you led, you challenged us, yet you were so gentle at the same time. Lord, you also didn't use your privilege as the Son of God 
um, to have everyone serve him. But yet, Lord, you came, you served us. You washed our feet. You were the one who died on the cross as our leader. Lord, help each and every one of us look to you as the model example of character. And Holy Spirit, we pray that um, you would help us in your strength and your power to change us and, and mold us into the people that you want us to be, into the men and women that you've called us to be for your glory and your purposes. Lord, we pray that you would just change each and every one of us in any area that needs change so that we can be better utensils, better tools for you to use for your purposes. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.